Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. If I've not gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are really excited that you are here with us. And uh, we've been going through this series called This Is Us, talking about our values at Bridgewater, what makes Bridgewater Bridgewater. And so that's what we've been doing. If you've missed any of that, you can go back onto our website and catch up on all of those. But as we start off, I just want to let you know that one of my favorite all-time shows is called Alone. Anyone ever watch Alone? All right. No, you should watch it. That's your homework this week. All right. So Alone is, in my opinion, is the most intense, adventure-based reality show of all time. What they do is they send out 10 contestants out into the middle of nowhere, and they only can select... 10 items besides like their clothes, okay? So they can take their clothes and their boots and there's a whole list of items that they can choose from and they can only take 10. So most of them take a tarp, they take a sleeping bag, they take like either an ax or a hatchet. Uh, Some take a bow and arrows, some take fishing line and hooks, some take snare wire. I mean, it is hardcore camping. It's camping on steroids. And the goal is to be completely alone. It's just you and your camera. So if you get sick, you get hurt, you are on your own. And the goal is to last the longest. And whoever lasts the longest wins half a million dollars. So there are literally 500,000 reasons to stay. And if at any point you want to go home, you're tired, you don't like it, you've had enough fun, you pick up your radio, you call somebody, and you tap out. They come, they send a boat, they come pick you up, and they say, okay, we're going to get you some warm soup and bring you home. So if there's 500,000 reasons to stay, why would anybody tap out? Let me show you. Watch this. No matter where I'm at, I actively search out community. I think that that's one of the things that's been so hard for me out here is that I have no sense of community. With community comes a sense of place. Without community, there's a huge part of my world that's missing. I wish that I could pull it from the environment. In some ways I have been, but it's a temporary fix. Like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. I was looking forward to pushing myself past that barrier. I want to continue going. I just don't want to do it without anybody else. This is Randy. I'm officially tapping out. I'm ready to go home. going on i haven't been able to produce really any food and set up a lot of traps and those weren't producing as well but there's a whole other aspect to me that's not being fed out here and that is my lack of social interaction with people my lack of community that's difficult it's 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 been difficult you know i've reached the end of of my time here in mongolia 
So outside of injury or illness, the number one reason they tap out is because of loneliness, because they miss their community. They miss their family, their friends, their network of people. I mean, these are like hardcore professional survivalists, like living out in the middle of the woods. People, a lot of them are instructors. They teach people how to do this, how to build tents and snares and housings and lean-tos, and they know how to fish. They know how to hunt. I mean, these are really top-notch experts. But time after time, they continue to tap out. They harvest food. They know what berries to pick. They know what reindeer moss to eat. They know how to fish and what things to do and all that stuff. They know how to track animals, but they continue to tap out because they have this incredible lack of community. You and I, we are hardwired for community. And so my question is, is there a practice that comes from God's word that really helps us to thrive? And, that, and is there a practice that comes from God's word that helps us really to break through and, and work through habits and find real healing in life? And what is that? Well, if you have your Bible, go to Colossians chapter 1. While you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of the background. Uh, you see... <clears throat> Jesus, like we talked about last week, Jesus called these men, these 12 disciples, and he called them to be fisher of people, right? To go out and, and hey, you guys know how to catch fish. Now I want you to, I want to teach you how to catch people, catch men, catch women. And they, they build this community. And he calls these men to join his community. They begin to do life together. And then he sends them out and they begin to take that pattern of life all into the world. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to this church in Colossae, and he's telling them about, hey, you're supposed to be this community. You're supposed to be this tight-knit community. Uh, let me give you a heads up, because there's some people that have snuck into your church, and they're false teachers. They're beginning to, to tell you or preach about this false gospel. And by the way, Paul is under house arrest in Rome, so he's far away from this church, but his love for them is so incredibly strong. It's a letter that's going to this church. And it's going to be likely passed around to other churches. So Colossians chapter 1, uh, let me just say this. Starting today, we'll be teaching from the New Living Translation, and we will be from uh, now on. And I want to let you know that if you study the Bible at home, and you should, there is a huge benefit to reading the Bible in multiple translations, whether that's a paperback or that's on the YouVersion app, find out, look at multiple translations. There's an incredible benefit to that. If you have any questions about that, you can certainly email me. Oh, that was supposed to be Keith's email. Anyways, <clears throat> fix that for next service. Colossians chapter 1. I'll start reading verse 28. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. That's, that's amazing, right? Paul is talking to this church, and he's saying, under house arrest, right, I am working and struggling so hard. And what's he depending on? Christ's power. 
that's working in him. And so he's talking about this word struggle, right? This word struggle is this idea of like an athletic competition. It's to agonize. It's to fight. It's to compete. It's to work so hard at something. And whether you're an athlete or not, you know what this looks like because you have worked hard at projects around your house. You've worked hard for relationships. You've fought for relationships, whether it's your marriage or your kids or your parents. You've fought hard, maybe in the area of academics or music, and you've constantly strained and you work at those things. And that's exactly what he's talking about. When I was in, in uh, college, I wrestled, and during wrestling practice, I, I tore my ACL. It was one of the, the worst pains I'd ever experienced. And I was a freshman, so I had a, an opportunity to, to either press on or redshirt that year, which means you don't actually wrestle, and then you get to stay a fifth year in college, which is, why would I pay for another year and do that? And I decided I was going to continue wrestling with my torn ACL because surgery wasn't an option. You get surgery on your leg, and you are completely done. So I agonized. I worked through that pain, my leg continued to give out over and over and over again on the mat in practice as we worked, agonizing to compete, struggling to fight, working to be a part of this team to help my team compete. Paul is saying, I'm working so hard. I am struggling, competing, agonizing. I'm fighting for you. That's this idea here, that he is, he is exerting all of this energy, fighting for this church while he's under house arrest. I mean, if you're under house arrest, you're in prison, you're writing a letter or you're sending a text, you're going, hey, please help me. Send money, send a, a Grubhub food card, like help me out, dude. If you have friends that can break me out, I need help. But he's not doing that. He's not thinking of himself. He's thinking of this church. And he's thinking, hey, you guys are under attack. There's, there's false teachers that are trying to sneak in and tell you a false gospel, and I am fighting for you. So keep that in mind. Drop down to, to chapter 2, verse 1. Now he says, I want you to know how much I have agonized. Same word, struggle. How much I have struggled for you. I've competed for you for the church at Laodicea, and for many other believers who have never met me personally. He says, there's people in this church. They don't even know who I am. We've never even met. I've never even shook their hand, never even hugged them. And I'm agonizing, fighting for them. Because as Jesus walked onto the scene, he talked about this idea of, of family and community. There's one part in the Gospels where, where some people come to Jesus and say, hey, your mother is here. She's looking for you. And he's like, well, who is my mother? And you're like, what? Do you not know? And he's saying like, look, you are my family. You are my mother and father. You are my brothers and sisters. This is the church. You have a spiritual family. It's like when an adoption takes place and there's already siblings there. That child becomes a part of that family. They now have 
this new mom and dad. And at the very same time, whether they like it or not, they now have a brother and a sister. And that's the picture of the church. That's what happened to you and to me as we came into the church. When you asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, all of a sudden, boom, you had this family, this community. And when we try to live outside of that, it doesn't help us. It actually hurts us. And so life is better when we fight for one another. Here's point number one. When we fight for one another, this is what helps our church really cultivate true, authentic community. And by the way, real, authentic community is difficult. It's not easy. And part of cultivating that community means, okay, I'm going to be all in. It's hard to find community here if I only come once a month or once every six weeks or once every two months or once a year. I can't. Because I can't be known by people. I can't know people if I only see them once a month. And it's extremely difficult if I don't let anybody into my life. And it's hard work. Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about real, authentic community. He says, the sooner this shock of disillusionment, meaning the sooner you realize that community is, in fact, hard work, comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves the dream of community more than community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges the brethren of God himself accordingly. If we come into the church, we come into community with this posture of, I have my demands, I want this, and I want that, as opposed to, I want real authentic community. There's a difference between wanting community and actually striving and fighting for that. That's God's vision for this church. That this would be a place where you can come, no matter who you are, no matter what you've experienced, no matter what you're bringing in, whether you're in middle school, high school, college, or you have grandchildren in high school, this would be a place of real, authentic community. We come here wanting that. So take a look at what he says next in verse 2. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He wants this, 
this type of community where you and I are actually encouraged. And that encouragement and that being knit together in love, both of those ideas are not separate, but they're actually tethered together. Imagine if this was a place where you could come and really feel encouraged all the time. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have bad days. I have days I don't want to get out of bed, and today was one of those days. I woke up for no good reason, in a bad mood, frustrated, discouraged. If I was honest, I wasn't preaching. If I didn't work here, I don't know if I would have came. But I did. And then I talked to some of you. I talked to Frank. I talked to Sarah. I talked to Kara. I talked to many of you. And God used that community, those conversations, to encourage me, to help me. We need people like that in our lives. Jesus never meant for this walk to be alone. It never meant for you to be isolated all on your own, just, just toughen it out. You know, it comes with some risk because you could be criticized, you could be judged, but it also comes with some benefits. That the Holy Spirit might do something in your life start convicting you and start using those people in your community to bring about real, authentic change. They also might hold you accountable, right? When you say, this is what I've got to change. This is what I got to do next week. And then you show up and you're like, hey, they ask you, did you do that? And you're like, well, oh, no. Okay, I'm going to do it, right? And so if we really are striving for community, if we really want to be a church that is reaching people, we need to encourage one another. Paul is saying life is better. Life is better when we encourage one another, when we allow others to encourage us, when we take those opportunities to speak into their lives and encourage them. We can't follow Jesus alone. As I look at the Gospels, I see Jesus doing two primary things, right? And everything else fits in those two categories. One, we see him in silence and solitude, getting away into the wilderness, getting away from the crowds, going sitting off by himself, going and praying by himself, silence and solitude, and then we see him in community. It's not just one or the other, right? He's with the crowds, then he goes to solitude. He's in solitude, then he goes, and he's with his disciples. We need both of those, we need this kind of community right here that we experience Sunday morning. And then we need a different kind of community where you're with other believers throughout the week, uh, other men, other women, other couples, where you're letting them speak into your life and you're speaking into their life. And there's this iron, sharpening iron. We can't follow Jesus alone. And he expected the apprentices, the disciples to live in community all of the other spiritual disciplines fall into that silence and solitude and community. It's not one or the other. It's both. He went back and forth, but I want you to see why this is so important. Look at verse four. I'm telling you this 
so that no one, no one will deceive you with what kind of arguments? Well-crafted. They thought through them. They articulated them. They're well-crafted. Don't let anyone deceive you. Verse five, for though I am far away from you, my heart is with you and I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. Don't let anybody deceive you. Don't let anyone trick you. Don't let anyone sneak into your church and tell you something different about the gospel or who Jesus is. I am fighting for you. I'm writing to encourage you. God wants this community to be tight-knit. We want others to come in. You are welcome to come in. But man, God is doing something incredible here. And he wants you and I to be a part of it. Which means I have to be here every week if I can. If I'm not sick, if I'm not on vacation, because you never know what conversation you might have with somebody else that they needed that day. You might not even know what conversation you get with somebody else. You could stay in bed, be discouraged, be frustrated, roll over, keep hitting the snooze button, don't show up to your small group, don't show up to your men's group, don't show up to your ladies' group. Just plan something different. There's always something better. There's always more video games. There's always another movie. There's always another whatever going on. Always another football game. But those are the two things that God uses, right? The word of God, the spirit of God, and the third thing would be the community of God. So he's calling us to encourage, but notice what Paul says in verse six. And now, just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Hard to see here, but there's really four participles here. Grow down, built strong, and overflow. These three are all past participles, okay? Follow me here. Something was done to you. Jesus did this to you. Jesus rooted you down into him, right? It's this agricultural illustration, right? You're like a tree. You're like a vine, all connected to other vines, other branches, all connected to the same root, rooted you down, you and I. We're all connected to Christ, all rooted together. But you're not only that, he, not only did he do that to you, he also built you on him. You're like a, a block of concrete building you into the building, part of this wall, part of this building, all of you, so many different blocks. Jesus did that to you. And then he, he strengthened you in the truth. Jesus did that to you. And the result is you are overflowing with thankfulness because we were designed and created to live in community. Not just big groups like this, 
but also in small groups. If you don't have a small group, you need to get in one. If you have a better idea to create community, then go do that. If you don't, try ours. If you had a bad experience at a small group, I get it. That happens, okay? Guess what? We're not all perfect. So you might have an experience at a small group that's less than ideal. I get it. It's okay to change. It's okay to try a different one. If you don't have a place of community where other guys or other ladies really, really know you, I mean, a a group of friends, whether it's three or five or eight, that really know you. Where you can open up and say, this is the real me. This is really what's going on. You need that. We need that. So he's connecting all of these pieces together, all like branches together, right? This is who we are. Living in community is a way of life. And so if it's a way of life, the last thing I want to mention is that when we grow, we're doing it together, right? Life is better when we grow with one another. That God is cultivating something in you and in Bridgewater. And we need you. We need you a part of this group. We need you a part of those groups out there. Two most important components of community are vulnerability and accountability. If you're in a group of people and you can't be vulnerable, it's not really a good small group. Those aren't really your friends. If you can't be vulnerable, if you can't open up and say, hey, hold me accountable for this, and and then they actually ask you, how did you do? And you can't be open and honest, that's not real, authentic community. We need to have an atmosphere where there's vulnerability and accountability. M. Scott Peck says this, there can be no vulnerability without risk. There can be no community without vulnerability. Like I said earlier, vulnerability is dangerous because you could open up. You could share what's really going on in your life and someone could step on you Someone could judge you. Someone could say something mean or rude or sarcastic. I'm telling you, the reward outweighs the risk. Because if you shine a light on what's really happening, God will use that. He'll use his word, his spirit, and these relationships to bring about radical transformation in your life. So the risk It's definitely there. But the value is incredible. Like I said earlier, Jesus, he lived in community. And then he called those who followed him, those disciples, those apprentices, to join that community. And they began to live in community. I mean, just think about the original group of the disciples. Think about it for a minute. You have a group of really good Jewish boys who probably spent lots of time reading the Torah, the Old Testament, memorizing it. And then you have guys like Matthew who are tax collectors. They're literally on the payroll of Rome. And then there's, there's guys that are called zealots, right? They're fanatics. 
And then there's Judas. I mean, think about morning coffee with those guys. Good morning, traitor. Morning, murderer. That's an interesting small group, isn't it? And yet Jesus chooses those guys, knowing everything about them, to live in community. And as they're living in community, they're doing life together, they're cultivating more community, helping each other grow, become more and more like their rabbi, Jesus, and they're celebrating the Passover together. In fact, if you have your communion cup, we're going to do that this morning because that's what you do in community. You share a meal together. I wish we could just roll out tables and have like an actual huge meal. We're going to do that in a couple weeks. It's called Open House. It's going to be incredible. But in the Gospel of Matthew, they're, pa- they're, they're celebrating the Passover together. This, this crazy group of guys And this is where we get communion. And they shared communion together, and it reminds us, really, of the forgiveness of Jesus. That Jesus died on the cross. He was going to the cross as they're celebrating this meal. And the bread symbolizes his body. The juice symbolizes the blood that was shed on the cross for our sins and, and communion doesn't save anybody. And so if you're here this morning and, and you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you've never asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, this isn't for you. This won't add anything to your life. It's simply a time to reflect and remember. Can't save you. Simply a reminder. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, Chapter 26, verse 26, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and while he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup. Give you a moment to open that. And when he had given thanks... He gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus did that with his disciples, all of them, because they were a group of people living in community. That's his desire for you. That's his desire for me. That's his desire for us. So what? Number one, finding community will require us, it will require you to be all in. So my challenge to you is if you don't come here every week, Start there. Start by coming every single week as often, as much as you can, and be all in. Number two, if you don't have a small group, get in a small group. 
If you're like, Tim, I don't know if I could open up and share anything with anybody. I don't know if I could do that. If anybody knew my past, I would just be ashamed of that. And start where you're at. Find two or three really safe people. Start with breakfast. Start with coffee. Start with lunch. And just say like, hey, I want to do that thing that Tim was talking about. I don't know if this can be the start of anything, but start where you're at. If you're like, dude, I went to a small group one time at a different church or later or earlier this year, and it was a disaster. It went sideways. It was terrible. Start where you are at. If you look at those lists and you're like, there's 20 people in that group. I can't go to that. I'll have an attack, right? <gasps> Start where you are at. Community is incredibly valuable. If you're not there yet, find a place where you are. And lastly, as we get ready to go, I want to let you know, and you heard this in the feed, Open House is coming. And it's going to be an incredible opportunity for you to invite somebody to say, hey, come sit with me. And when we do that, we need your help. I need your help. Here's some things I need you to do. One, invite a friend. A friend, a neighbor, a coworker, right? Number two, come early, be ready. And here it is, park far, okay? Park back there. And guess what? If you park back there, you can actually slide in through that door. Unless the service has already started, then that's kind of awkward. Um, or you can park on the grass. You can park way out there, right? Park far so that when our guests come, they can park close. And I want you to sit close right up here in the front row so that when our guests come and they come in and they're like five minutes late, it's their first time ever being in church, they can slide in the back. Music's already started. They can sit in the back, not on stage with me because that's super awkward. And stay late. Hang out. Talk. If you come to the first service, come back. Hang out because there's going to be incredible chicken and games. It's going to be awesome. Life is better together. Let me pray with you. God, you are amazing. Um, I know there's so many people here that are already in community. They're already doing life together. There's people here that have invested and poured into me. I know there's people here that are struggling. They may feel lonely. They may feel like they have no friends, no community. No one really knows them. To take that next step and open up even just a little bit is incredibly scary. Would you give us the courage and boldness to take our next step and just simply start where we are at? my desire that you would do something incredibly great, unseen, unknown, that you just work in our hearts, in and through your community. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You stand with us in response this morning.